Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello and welcome to the 285th edition of the Legal Motion College Football Podcast. In Nashville, Tennessee, I'm the Professor Emeritus, Matt Perkins. And an angle route across the Harpeth River from me here in the Music City, it's our own offensive coordinator, the coach, Corey Burton. What's up, gentlemen? Uh, uh, that's one of my favorite running back routes, actually. I know. Uh, the, the, the angle route, so I'm, I'm very happy about that. It, we're it's gonna... equally effective against zone and man. Actually, it act absolutely is, especially when you're running outside zone, which someone we know is a very big expert. And I'm not talking about Brian <laughs> Ferentz. I'm talking about I'm talking about Kristen. She mm-hmm. can probably outcoach Brian Ferentz at this point. So uh, it wouldn't take much. Uh, but <laughs> in order to introduce that, we need to get to the third amigo in the second city, a man whose bet- best part of his trip to Indianapolis this past weekend was his stop at White Castle. It's our intrepid blogger <laughs> from Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook. Oh, we had a we had a very 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 fun time. Um, neither Dad or myself was expecting it to be a particularly close game. It, it slipped away a little bit at the end. We'll talk about it here in a little bit. So the score looked worse uh, than the game really was, especially in that first half. But uh, it's always fun going down to Indianapolis. It's a fun city. Um, great stadium. Uh, really good stadium food. The one weird thing was uh, so you know, we're waiting in line for, for uh, concessions. And I mean, this is, this is a classic Iowa feeling. Everyone wants to eat a tenderloin. Like that's the official food of Iowa. So there's like one stand that sells pork tenderloins and the kitchen staff in the back is doing it like burger, tenderloin, chicken sandwich, burger. And it's like, Dude, everyone is ordering a tenderloin. You're backing up on these chicken sandwiches. You haven't sold a chicken sandwich. Like, stop cooking them. Like, tenderloins all day, baby. And then finally, I think they kind of got the memo, and they seem to speed up their process of making some tenderloins because we Iowans like tenderloins and beer. Uh, Come for the football, stay for the concessions talk. For sure. Of course. Um, I mean, we did a rundown of like best tailgated food. A we few did. Years that was ago. a great episode too. That, <laughs> think, that was that was a lot of fun. Matt, I think you spent eight hours talking about your favorite condiments. <laughs> I did. I said. Uh, <laughs> I, I think I, I ended up talking about if I had to make my five fingers, each one of them squirt out just one condiment for the rest of my life, what would that be? And I think since then, it's probably changed. The, I feel the like thing, I've seen that somewhere else. One thing I know for sure, like number one, my, my thumb. What's going to come out the most? Is Golden's brown mustard. Your thumb is the one, not your not your pointer finger. Interesting. Well, because it's fatter, so I can get more out at once. Oh, but I think I'd have better control of squirting stuff. With Dude, my when, it, when when it comes to, I don't care about the control. I care about the volume. No, this has got the most volume right here. Heyo. <laughs> <laughs> Since it's not a video podcast, uh, Corey just flipped us the bird. So feeling very hostile in here (laughs) that's okay josh do you need to talk about it (laughs) no i want to talk about these coaches do you need to use some i statements no i i want to talk about these coaches that's my that's your i statement let's talk about the coaches since we last (laughs) met let's grade some coaches yeah Yeah, interesting hires to say the least 
As most of you guys already know, we are presented to you by betonline.ag and we're better than ever. A new web interface for the rest of NBA season and more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online remains your number one spot for all basketball and football action this season. So head on over to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use the promo code BELIEVE50, that's B-L-E-A-V-5-0, to receive your welcome bonus. From basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. Since we last met, we've had some hires and some new vacancies because of those hires. We're going to start in Oklahoma, where Brent Venables is the new coach uh, for the Sooners. He comes over after being the defensive coordinator at Clemson for seemingly forever. We're going to do this the same way we did it last week. Josh and I give our grades and our explanations, and uh, Coach is going to be the arbiter of coaching justice. All right, so you know, we start with Coach Venables. Let me get my let me get my gavel. Hold on. Got it. All right, let's All roll. Right, here we go. Uh, I'm going to give this a C. Also, oh, before we even get to this, one really funny thing. I was looking at like how they grade how uh, ESPN was grading all the coaching hires. The lowest grade they gave any single hire was a B. Not even a B minus, just a B. Everything was an A, A minus, B plus, or B snooze that's why we're fun because we give wider range and one of us is a curmudgeonly old man who likes to bash some of these hires josh i was pretty curmudgeonly last week if i'm not mistaken uh, well both of us were at times yeah so all right uh, I, had, I, had to, I had to rein you guys back in a little bit <laughs> uh i'm gonna give this a c uh i feel like venables peaked a couple years ago and doesn't feel like he has the same cachet that he once did don't know how good of a CEO he's going to be. He feels like more of a Bud Foster type to me. He's going to need to get some really good assistant hires if he's going to compete in the SEC, which Oklahoma is going to need to do soon. I, you know, they have hired a defensive coach and they haven't had a defensive identity since Bud Wilkerson was the coach. I mean, like, what was the last time, you know, you, you really were scared of an Oklahoma defense? So I guess I understand that thinking, but I I don't really feel the fit here super well. So I, I'm giving a C. I, it's one of the hires I am I, – I don't see this lasting more than four seasons at most. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I ironically or not ironically, coincidentally gave it the exact same grade. I gave it a C. Uh, Matt, you took a lot of uh, what I was kind of feeling. Um, one thing that was kind of a red flag a little bit for me is, you know, one of his first uh, interviews after the hire is he's talking about how like, oh, we got to build our culture. That's more important than recruiting. And I'm thinking, uh, dude, like, have you seen the news? Like, this is how Dan Mullen lost his job. This is like your own boss, Dabo Sweeney, didn't recruit an offensive line for years now. Like, you're Oklahoma. You need recruits. It's not going to, no Oklahoma fan's going to be like, well, that was awesome. We overachieved with a bunch of terrible recruits and we went nine and three. It's like, uh, they expect five star recruits and you going 10 and two at worst. Coach. Well, okay. Um, I agree with you guys' uh, grades. Actually, I think you guys are spot on. 
I think it's not an F because I, I think he knows what he's doing, and I, I think he's he's been there before. He knows what he's getting into with the Oklahoma community and, and the administration there and the program itself. Uh, I also like it because they need to bring some toughness back to that program, and that's what exactly he's going to do. What worries me is – does he know how to be the CEO of a program? Does he have the personality? Does he have the mindset to, to do everything that a head coach needs to do before they actually even step foot on a, on a ball field? Like head coaches, if you want to coach, don't be a head coach. That's, that's the saying. And I don't know if Brent Venables has that in him. Um, I think it, it's a little overblown with his comments about culture over recruiting at this point. We'll see that the proof will be in the pudding in, in that as, as far as that goes, but I'm going to give it a C until he does prove that he cares about recruiting. So we'll kind of see. It'll be interesting now. He, he finally got a shot and, uh, or he finally took a shot. I should say he's probably gotten a, a ton of shots, but he, this is the one he's finally taken. So uh, good for him. Uh, we'll see if it works out for Oklahoma. Um, I'm skeptical, uh, but I do I do like it a little bit, so I'm going to give it a C. I'm going to I'm going to roll right with you guys. All right. I'm, well, ass- I'm assuming that boring ESPN article gave this an A plus. I think they gave it an A, yeah, A or an A minus. Snooze. Um, I I just looked at the grades. I don't I don't remember what any individual got because they were it was all milk toast. Everything that they had to say. Uh, next, Notre Dame. They lost Brian Kelly. And uh, promoted from within, Marcus Freeman. Uh, for me, this is probably my second favorite of all the promotions uh, in terms of head coaches just after Jake Dickert up at Washington State. I think Marcus Freeman is uh, already, you know, I, I probably would have given this like a B to a B plus off the jump. He's retained nearly the entire staff, which says a lot about Freeman, but also a lot, I think, about Brian Kelly, about how much people don't really want to coach for him, uh, including Tommy Reese, the offensive coordinator, who's going to stay in that same position. And he's a killer recruiter, clearly loved by the players. And I think that he is a really just, seems like a very smart, defensive mind, intelligent guy, and he's very easy on the eyes. But that's uh, neither here nor there, Josh. Uh, Matt, is that for? Are you asking Matt for a friend? Is that? Um, sure. <laughs> Go ahead, Josh. What's your? Yeah, um, it, I was tempted to give this a B plus or an A. I, I dipped it down to a B. Um, I'll start with the positives. I oh, I don't know that. if I said it. I gave it an A minus. By the way, yeah. Uh, I love that, uh, you know, he saved the recruiting class. We've seen like a mass exodus from Oregon. Haven't had that from Notre Dame. Obviously, Matt, you mentioned he retained the staff. He's young. He's hungry. There's a huge upside here. Um, My hesitancy is, um, yeah, he's 35. We don't know what he's going to be like as a CEO. Obviously, he's never been anywhere close to this position. And I just had a shiver run down my spine of what if dear God, he's Jimmy Lake 2.0, who was known as this great recruiter at Washington, young, hungry, up and comer and totally an over his head. That was my one hesitancy. When you're as big a name as Notre Dame, you sort of expect to pull off one of these big coups, like say what LSU did to Notre Dame. 
Yeah, I, I I agree with you to a certain extent, Josh. But when you listen to somebody speak and and, and when you kind of follow somebody um, around their career a little bit and kind of where he's been and and what level of of uh, I guess what level of performance he's been getting out of his players uh, from that defensive coordinator spot. You look at that Cincinnati defense when when he had them uh, humming last year. I mean, they were outstanding last year. Uh, just uh, th- those kids played way above their talent level. This Notre Dame defense played way above their talent level. They overachieved. The entire staff said, you know what? I'm going to hitch my wagon to this kid. That says a lot to me. You listen to him speak. He is bright. He is intelligent. He's full of passion. He has he has all the right priorities uh, with his program. I love it. Um, I don't want to give it an A plus because those are rare. So I'm gonna give it a I'm gonna give it a solid A on this hire. I love it. I think it's an absolute home run uh, for Notre Dame. I think it's a huge upgrade. Uh, there was a there was a, a lady I taught with. She's uh, she her and I are the same age, and she's a huge Notre Dame fan. And she was really really upset when Brian Kelly stepped away and went to LSU. And I said, wait wait wait. If they re- this but this is before they retain Mark. This is before they retain Marcus Freeman. I said if they retain Freeman. It's a wrap. That's a home run. That's an upgrade. And they did. And I think it will be. So um, I love what Tommy Reese has done offensively. I think the recruiting is only going to take off. I think they're going to shellack Oklahoma State in the bowl game. I think they got a lot of momentum in the program. I give it an A. Yeah, I am. You know, as as someone who roots for a school that competes with Notre Dame for a lot of recruits, notably along the offensive line, I'm kind of mad because they're going to they're gonna nab a bunch of kids that Wisconsin's trying to go after at the same time. Yeah, Wisconsin's got to do something. You know, like it, hire, it, like I, hire was, Mike Bobo. I was listening to, uh, I was listening to Lebertard Show and someone said uh, in his uh, introductory press conference, uh, he gave out more DAP in 30 seconds than in the history of Notre Dame up until then. So uh, I thought that was kind of funny. All right. Um, Mario Cristobal is the new head coach at the University of Miami. And unfortunately, Manny Diaz is still the current head coach <laughs> at the University they, they, of Miami. They fired Diaz 15 minutes before they hired Cristobal. This was the worst kept secret in college football for a couple of weeks. I get a feeling that Josh and I are not exactly going to see eye to eye on this. I gave it an A minus. I think, I don't think that they could do better than this. Mario Cristobal is one of if not the single best recruiter in the entire country he is going to absolutely recruit the crap out of the state of miami which has been decimated in recent years by inroads made of programs like alabama where he used to coach and where he won the award for best recruiter in the country they have new institutional backing that is going to give them another 20 to $30 million per year. And the only way they got that money was because they hired Cristobal, who is a Miami Cuban, uh, a native to South Florida. And part of my grade with this is due to the fact that they hired in tandem the athletic director from Clemson and are bringing him down there as well. They are sort of a package deal. And we saw what happened to Clemson under his watch. Clemson turned in from, from, from the verb of Clemsoning to becoming a national power. I, I love this hire. I think that 
it is going to make Miami compete again in the ACC within two to three years. And I think that, you know, he's going to, the, he, he's going to be empowered to have a staff under him. Now I know that the, the what keeps this from like an A or an A plus for me is the fact that he has not proven that he is a, a great in-game coach yet, but he has, in he's got a couple Pac-12 titles and their Pac-12 title game appearance uh, to Utah against where they lost to Utah again this past weekend. We'll talk about that here in a little bit. They got shellacked twice this year. They did, but they were on, decimated by injuries, and um, he was still able to pull in some. You know, and you know they still pulled off the big win over Ohio State. You know, you, you can't take that away from him. Yes, they lost those games to Utah as well. The Stanford game is questionable, but I think that given everything, Miami's not going to do a whole lot better than that. I think if there are going to be knocks against this hire is that it is a little bit incestuous, and yeah, I think that is a valid criticism, Josh. Well, before I even get into what I was going to say, I like that you said that you know he's a Miami native and a Cuban, and that they're like, oh, wait, Manny Diaz is dad was the mayor of Miami and they didn't care about this. So um, I was really tempted to give this my first F, but it's the holiday season. So I'm going to be really generous and give it a D plus. Now I used to think really highly of him. I thought, you know, he won really well at FIU and that's, you know, a nearly impossible job, but I'm sorry. The last few years at Oregon with his own recruits, highly, highly, highly recruiting classes has been a total yuck. They're 14 and six the last two years. I've seen zero development of a competent quarterback since Herbert left. Um, Obviously, he can recruit, but Matt, I think you're a little generous when you said it's questionable X's and O's. He straight up stinks. I'm out on him X's and O's wise. Um, the two best coaches in the Pac-12 this year lapped him, just smoked him three times. Three solid coaches a season ago beat him. So this has a stench about it of the most obvious hire. It's a no-brainer, so we didn't do any more than like 30 seconds of research on him. And the last time we saw a group think the same way, was Nebraska with Scott Frost. And I was out on that hire, worked out. Hopefully I'm going to go two for two because I'm absolutely murdering <laughs> Mario Cristobal right now. But um, I think bigger picture stuff, some real talk about the U. Um, he solves zero of their bigger issues. And so what are some of those issues? This is in no particular order. Everyone's walking around like, this is the U from like a few years ago. It's not. It's been 20 years since they were good. They have no stadium that people want to go to. It's empty every game. No one cares. There's zero reputation within the city of Miami, which is incredibly fickle when it comes to sports. You have impatient boosters who will turn on him the moment he loses a game. That's what happened to Manny Diaz. And this is an absolute cluster F of an administration that a new AD does not fix either. And honestly, this program is way closer to Kansasing 
than it is to Alabama in. And no one is willing to admit that. And until they do, you're going to get boring crap hires like this, where there was literally no constructive criticism about it. I mean, did they, did they bother to look at anything he's done the last two years? If they had, they wouldn't have hired him. No, I, th- I think you're right, Josh. I, I think it's a little harsh to give him a D plus, but Matt, I think you're a little generous giving him an A minus. Um, I, I, I don't love this hire. I, I don't think it make any, makes any sense. I don't necessarily agree that they should have kept Manny Diaz um, because I, I don't think he did well enough uh, to, uh, to, to, to retain that job as well. I mean, because the U does have a lot of tradition, not recent tradition, but they do have a lot of tradition uh, dating back to the 80s uh, with, uh, with how good they were with uh, starting with Schnellenberger. And, and so I, I think they, they want it. They're trying to tap into that. I see what they're trying to do. I don't think Cristobal is, is necessarily the right guy. I, I think there's going to be some things that he has to do with his staff that's going to help him develop he's going to have to he's going to have to uh have a lot of help have a lot of guys prop him up and that's going to come with his offensive defense coordinators they're going to have to they're just he's going to have to hire some different people he's going to have to have a different plan than what he did at Oregon I I think he's more at home at Miami I think that's the good thing uh, but this administration has really, really, really tainted this hire for me because the way they handled this whole situation, and yes, I just said Manny Diaz didn't deserve to retain the job because I don't think he did a good enough job there, but he didn't deserve to get let go the way he got let go. I, I think that's complete and utter bullshit, if you if you really must know. Um, and if, I, if I'm Manny Diaz, I, I'm, I'm doing something. I, I don't like you hired somebody before you let me go, like, Come on, like that's that's complete dirtball stuff, and and they just let him go out on the recru- uh, on the road and, and recruit like that, um, knowing that they were talking to Crystal, they were recruiting Cristobal to come replace the guy that was out all the way in California trying to pull some recruits, and like it just did him dirty, and, and it's it forever taints me. It, it, I already didn't kind of like Miami. This makes me like him even worse. They, they deserve the crappy stadium that nobody wants to go to, the seats that are going to remain empty, the impatient boosters, the, the never-ending cycle of suck that they're in because they can't seem to know what they're going to do. It's just they deserve all of that. And, and Mario Cristobal does too now. Yeah, and I want to say one thing. Uh, you know, Coach said that he didn't think Manny Diaz deserved another year. I don't know if he did either. I would lean towards no, he didn't deserve another year. But I will say this. You break down this season for Miami. They're really close under Manny Diaz. They won five of their last six games. But that's um, the way they've always been. They've been really but, they've always been really close, but they just run slam but, into that wall. But they're three they can't get over it. So uh yeah, they had a disastrous two and two start. In their five and three finish, their three losses were by a combined eight points. Like, this is not a total dumpster fire. Um, I think at any other school other than Miami, you're bringing Manny Diaz back. True, but we're talking about Miami. I know. I know. We are. Okay. 
Um, let's head down to some group of five hirings. We're talking about practice, man. <laughs> practice. We're going to start at Louisiana. Uh, Billy Napier obviously is off to Florida, and they have promoted from within the offensive coordinator, Michael uh, uh D-E-S-O-R-M-E-A-U-X, a perfect Louisiana name. Uh, and it is a coordinator hire, another promotion that I really like continuity with a really solid offense he's done a great job there coaching that side of the ball there's gonna there's a lot of graduating talent this year including a lot of the offensive line but you know he has also a lot of ties to the school he played quarterback for them he was the sunbelt offensive player of the year during his playing days i think this is a really solid job of identifying the talent that they had on staff realizing that it's going to create a good continuous culture fit i don't see a whole lot of drop off happening that wouldn't have happened already due to talent attrition i'm giving it a b plus um which is you know uh i i think a, a very positive grade especially for a uh promotion for a first-time head coach yeah, so when we were doing these these grades uh last week i, I gave some you know a c plus b minus for uh, kind of the high ceiling but low floor type of hire. This is one of those, but I gave it a B plus. And the reason I gave it a B plus is I am a sucker for when these group of five schools promote from within. Especially if they've um, had success, when they've had ex- success. Exactly. And and the model of this is, of course, right across the fun belt over at Appy State. So uh, I'm with you, Matt. I, I like this hire. Yeah, the team that they beat this past weekend. I give it an F because they didn't hire <laughs> Brian Ferentz. No, I'm just Is kidding. that F for Ferentz? <laughs> yes. Um, no, I, I'm kidding. I, I, I agree with you guys. I think you guys are spot on. I, sometimes you get these, you get these hires, these, pr- these promotions from within and, and it, and it doesn't work out. You know, you could, there's a litany of examples. I'm not going to run through them all, but when you look at this particular scenario, I, I think they had such a good thing going on their staff I think in this particular situation, continuity is is the key, and I think he's done a tremendous job as OC. He deserves that shot, and much like much like Marcus Freeman, I, I think he's I think he's going to kill it there at Louisiana. I think Michael Desmoreau is going to kill it. I think I said that right. Yeah, Desmoreau. All right. Uh, next, we are heading uh, jumping over to Troy, where they have hired. Uh, Kentucky co-defensive coordinator John Summerall. Uh, he was at one point an assistant coach at Troy, but it is his first head coaching stop. Uh, I'm giving him a B here. I think he's a solid hire. Clay knows his defense. I will be. Uh, I'll, I'll be frank. I actually don't know a whole ton about about him, um, but you know, I, I think that he has the potential. Definitely. Having coached an SEC defense, Josh's internet stopped here. So, Coach, I'm actually just going to jump straight to your thoughts because you faced them this year and you've faced them for a while now. What have what do you what did you see in in summer at least on the defensive side of the ball? I mean, I really liked it. I, I think scheme wise, they're, they're an aggressive style defense. Those guys flat get after it. They've they've always had great D line play and they've always had great linebacker play. Uh, so their front sevens are always always nasty, and uh, I like it. Uh, I, I like this hire. I think it's going to be good for Troy. Troy's a, a place where, you know, you can t- you can take a chance on some of these guys like that. And uh, 
you know, they took a chance on Chip Lindsay and it didn't work, but I think this guy's got a good head on his shoulders. I think he's coming from a good, good program and, and, and a good head coach and, and Mark Stoops. I think he's ready. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll be frank out of all the guys who've been hired in this cycle so far. I think I, I give some, it an, I, I give it an A. I think if I think oh, it wow. works for Troy. I, I, mean, I like it for me, like Summerall might be the guy I know the least about out of every single person that's been hired so far in this cycle. I think Summerall's, I, I keep saying Summerall, like Pat Summerall. It's just Summerall, Summerall, uh, Summerall. Summerall. I think John Summerall is the person that I know the least about at this point. Um, let's then uh, let's welcome get, back Josh to our conversation yeah. about John Sumrall, the yeah. new coach of Troy. Uh, I gave it a B, Josh, and uh, curious is what what you think here. What do you think yeah, I sorry. gave it, Josh? Well, sorry about that. I uh, we've got freezing temperatures in Chicago, so the only explanation I have is the uh, internet froze there, uh, quite literally. Hey, uh, um, I'm going to guess you gave it a B, Coach, because Matt gave it a B and I gave it a B. And the reason I gave it a B is, well, Kentucky's defense has been pretty dang good this year. Um, he was on Neil Brown's staff when they won 11 games, so he's got some ties to Troy. Um, he's an unknown as a head coach. He's 39, but, um, you know, it's Troy. Their talent pool is going to be a lot smaller, so him having ties to the school uh, made him an appealing candidate for me. Yeah, and I I, th I think that, you know, I mean, if you're a group of five school, especially a, a lesser known group of five school, it's a good thing to take a chance on, you know, a younger a younger guy off and you can that can help sort of like build up your program as well. Let's head to Akron, one of the toughest jobs. Whoa, whoa. Don't, don't, don't you want to don't you want to know what I gave it? Yeah. What'd you give it, coach? I gave it an A. Oh, uh, let's head to Akron. A does not stand for Akron here, but they did hire Joe Moorhead, uh, former Mississippi State head coach. He's also been most recently offensive coordinator at Oregon, as well as Penn State. He was the head coach at Fordham for a long time. He was very successful at Fordham. He went 38 and 13 uh, in his, I believe it was five seasons at Fordham. He is a very good offensive mind. I think he's going to fit well at this program. Akron, super tough job. Like we know it's one of the toughest jobs in the country, but I think he's innovative enough and will be able to bring the offense up at least to max standards. Should be able to recruit. He's been around the block once or twice. I'm giving it a solid B. It doesn't have a super high ceiling, but I think I'll, I think the floor is very high here. Did Josh freeze up again? I think Josh's internet froze again. Yes. All right, I'll give it my I'll give it my yeah. options here. I, Hit it. You know, I I don't think Akron needs him to be a miracle man, uh, which is wh why I think it is a little bit easier of a job than we're than we think. Um, I really like the fact that he's been in that seat before. He knows what he's doing. He's been in that seat in a couple different places. He's been he's been in prominent roles as an assistant. And, and other places recently, and and I think you know that's Oregon and Penn State. I I just think they just need somebody competent that who knows what they're doing, knows knows what their goals are, and and wants to build a program and wants to get back on his feet. And I think Joe Moorhead is definitely going to do that uh, in spades here. I'm not saying Akron's going to win the MAC anytime soon, 
But I, I think if he, like UMass, like UConn, like Clay Helton at Georgia Southern, um, like Don Brown at, at UMass and Jim Mora, I think if he just comes in, runs a competent program, gets them back on their feet, then you're starting to kind of get an idea of, okay, well, Joe Moorhead can get, you know, uh, a, a job like Virginia or Duke or something like that. So I like it. I like it a lot. Um, I, I think it's, I think it's outstanding. Um, I'm going to give it an A minus on that. Um, just because I, I think Akron, I think for their standards, they hit a home run. With, I mean, with, they got a former home. SEC coach who wasn't yeah, I mean, great, but wasn't terrible. For what they need, I think they hit a home run, and and that's what that's what I like that, about it. Yeah, Josh. Yeah, I mean, I I'm very similar to Coach. I give it a B plus. Um, he, he talked about Jim Moore, Clay Helton. I like those hires last week. They are doing the same thing here. You're getting, as Coach said, a competent coach. They know what they're doing. Just Akron needs that. That's what they need right now. Um, they don't need him to somehow like build it into a Mac dynasty that wins six titles in a row. They need it to be competitive and he will at least make them competitive. All right. Um, We now have, uh, I think this just broke today or maybe yesterday, a new coach at Colorado state after they fired Steve Adazio for well, a trillion reasons. They poached a, Another coach from inside of their own conference, Jay Norvell from Nevada, who went 33 and 26, 23 and 17 in conference at Nevada. Uh, one of the things that I learned this week was that he was supremely underpaid. Yeah. He was uh, one of, if not the lowest paid uh, coach, uh, head coaches in the entire conference, and he's going to become one of the highest at Colorado State. Uh, and so when I wrote my notes, original notes for this, I said I didn't quite understand this from a Norvell's perspective. I thought it was a lateral move, but you know, considering the pay raise, that's really good. And you know, Colorado State definitely has more of a winning football tradition than Nevada does. I don't think that they have a you know, there's going to be a lot of rebuilding to do there. But I think that this is a really good hire for Colorado State. He had a winning record in four of his five seasons in Reno. Should be a huge upgrade immediately in Fort Collins. And I'm going to give this like a B plus A minus grade even. I think I'm I'm willing to bump this up to an A minus because he's got a really good offensive mind. He knew he was going to lose Carson Strong at Nevada. I think that was going to be a, a bigger mess. And I'm, I'm curious to see what he does with the staff. I'm invested in who was the offensive coordinator there. Uh, John Budmeyer, who is a, a Wisconsin guy, former Wisconsin quarterback, was on the Wisconsin staff for a long time, took his first OC job at Colorado State this past year for Adazio. Don't know if he's going to be retained or not, but uh, I think Norvell is going to bring a lot offensively, especially for Colorado State. And it wouldn't shock me to see them back you know, in the upper echelon of the Mountain West in two to three years. I love this. Yeah, I love it. I absolutely love it. I think Jay Norvell is is a is a rock star in the Mountain West Conference. Um, and to leave a program like Nevada for a program like Colorado State, oddly enough, Colorado State brand new facilities seem to be a, a more stable. Seems to be a more stable administration, one that's willing to bid and and pay for for uh, 
coaches, even if they, you know, they're willing to take chances, even if they don't work out like Mike Bobo, they're willing to take that chance and think outside the box with Jim McElwain as well. Um, unfortunately for McElwain, there wasn't enough sharks to hump there out in Colorado, but um, I love it, man. I think it's B plus a minus. I think you're spot on Josh. Yeah. Let me give you just a, a brief history lesson on, on what Norvell uh, did at Nevada. So um, Nevada football is, pretty much Chris Alt. Um, he coached three different tenures at Nevada, uh, 76 to 91, um, saw them, uh, win four conference titles, um, make the, what was then the one double a playoffs a whole bunch of times, including, uh, losing in a national title game in 1990. And then, uh, 92, they, uh, they go over to the big West conference, uh, and they play in the Vegas Bowl. So he sees them through the transition. And then he retired for one year, uh, came back in 94, 95, two more conference titles uh, to go along with that 1992 title. Uh, and then he left after 95, but returns again in 04 and his 04 to 2012 run bowl games every year, but one and two conference titles. So Nevada is a really good program, but after Chris Alt left, it kind of got tanked and Norvell helped rebuild that. Um, Matt mentioned it, four straight bowl games for them. Um, really competitive. These last few years under Norvell, they beat Cal um, this year. Yeah. So um, I like this hire. I actually gave it an A minus. I, I gave him a slight bump for him being an Iowa guy. Uh, played played for the Hawks, and uh, one of his early coaching stops was also in Iowa City. What do you, what do you play? Uh, quarterback, receiver, something like that. Norvell. Yeah. Ooh, good guess. What did uh, What do you think he played, Coach? I think Norvell played tight end. Ooh, interesting. Both on the offensive side of the ball. He was a linebacker. linebacker. I was going to say, really? I was going to uh-huh. say outside linebacker. Yeah. Yeah. Next. There we go. Very interesting. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I mean, he clearly improved Nevada. Um, he was the least paid coach in the, the conference, which brings me to um, Nevada. You have a history of good football. How in the world are you paying your coach less than dumpster fire new mexico or even larger dumpster fire the one right across your state at unlv this is a uh, bigger picture issue for the wolf pack that uh i don't think we have time to talk about right now yeah i don't think we have time to talk about it right now but it is it, it, it's pretty poor form yeah it's definitely poor form okay so um, I'll run. You want me to run through the uh, the open jobs here real quick, Matt? Yeah, let's. Let, let's well, last time we talked, <laughs> we we had Fresno State and FIU. Those jobs are open then. They're still open now. Uh, uh, as was Duke. Yeah, word on the street about Fresno is the the Tedford thing is is all but a done deal. They just need to kind of dot the eyes and cross I called the T's, which is <laughs> lazy. Is that lazier than Mario Cristobal? Yes, because <laughs> they're going to something they've already done. So they're doing a lazy rewind. 
guess who guess who's emerging as a candidate at Duke? Uh, Mike Krzyzewski's, uh drunk driving grandson. Yeah, he wandered into the interview and they, <laughs> they liked what he had to say. Um, Jason Garrett. Oh, God. Jason freaking Garrett. Just just bear that in mind. Um, also, do they not get NFL games in Raleigh? I guess not. The Carter, the, the Panthers have everything blocked out. It's Durham. It Durham. Durham. Whatever. Um, Pitt offensive coordinator Mark Whipple, after leading Kenny Pickett to a Heisman Trophy appearance, has resigned. Yeah, he resigned, and uh, apparently he's going to be heading to Nebraska. Mm. Great move on his part. Yeah, I don't really know what he's thinking there. Anyhow. Hold on, one more. I got one more nugget about LSU. McNeese head coach Frank Wilson has stepped down. He plans on joining Brian Kelly's staff at LSU. He is expected to have an assistant head coach type of role. Wasn't he the former head coach at UTSA who got fired? I believe so, yes. Yeah, that's what I thought. Then then he went to McNeese. Now he's going to LSU. Fun all right. times. Josh. He needed somebody to join <laughs> the family. Uh, all right. Well, I mean, we hit on them. So those of you keeping score at home. So the open jobs are Oregon. Replacing Mario Cristobal, David Cutcliffe at Duke, who's retired. Jay Norvell, who just left. So Nevada's got to fill in that job. Fresno, we mentioned. FIU with Butch Davis retiring. And then Temple, uh, which I don't think we've talked about yet, but Temple fired former Northern Illinois coach Rod Carey. Um, Rod Carey went 12 of 20, and eight of his 12 wins were in the first season. So that's what we call trending down. Hey, hey guys, we, we got a special guest. He's going to make a cameo here. Hold on. Uh, I got a... Oh, let me let me go get him. Uh, it's... <laughs> hey guys, you got a very special announcement. He's he's here. He's joined us. I'm going to step away for a minute. Uh, Brian Kelly, the new head coach of LSU, joins us. Brian, how you doing, guys? I do declare this is an honor to be a part of your podcast. How's it going, gentlemen? Uh, coach Kelly, uh, great to hear from you. Thank you so much for uh, spending some time with us here today. Uh, you know, I understand that uh, you are the new head coach in, in Baton Rouge. How do you feel about, about the Tigers? Lord, I am just over the moon about these Tigers. I think we have a really good family here. And it's I like just family. A family, and I just can't wait to to enjoy some some of that good old gumbo that that <laughs> that we've come to love here in Baton Rouge. It makes us so popular, and, and Lord have mercy, get me some crawfish, Coach. I, I I understand that. Uh, wait, Coach. There's another guest. It's Brian Kelly from one year from now. Campdown races, five dollars long, doodah. Let me let me learn you some football, boy. Let me learn you some football. <laughs> <laughs> now, one one of the more interesting things uh, that I've noticed, Coach Kelly and future Coach Kelly, is be, besides the the change in the way that you say the word family from your time up at Notre Dame. You've also changed. You've also adopted my my, my favorite term, which is well, you, Matt. Are you are you accusing me of having a false accent? I I am not accusing you of code switching at all. What I uh, what I am saying is that you I grew have, up in South Boston. <laughs> is that I am saying that you ha- you now properly refer to a 
college football team as a program, not a program. That's right. We have a really good program here at LSU. And my friend, future Brian Kelly, will sing that fact for you. Brian Kelly from the future, take it away. Kind Damn. sir. Captain Race is five balls long. Doodar. <laughs> So, uh, uh, Brian uh, Kelly and Future Kelly, uh, I'll let you guys. I know you're very busy men. Um, I gotta go recruit these five stars, man. I know you gotta get out there recruiting uh, before we do. Can I get a go, Can I get a Go Tigers? Go Tigers. G O G E A O U X Tigers. Go Tigers. That was wild. I've never interviewed two people from Thanks, different t- from 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 different uh, time time space continuums Man, at that, the that same was time awesome, before that was a lot of fun hey i had to tweak I had, sorry uh future kelly was late i had to uh tweak the time <laughs> machine a little bit so it's okay you've done, you you and stefan or cal are doing a great I, job with this time i machine. had to change the tire on the delorean so <laughs> now i'm just picturing if uh lou holtz had ever taken the lsu job hmm how would that have worked <laughs> Well, oh I mean, he uh, <laughs> he he would have single-handedly raised the water level in the bayou from the spittle that came out of his mouth. I, I might need. I don't know if I can do one on the fly. I might have to tinker with the holds on the levee <laughs> with the Louisiana Lou holds. Louisiana Lou, <laughs> Louisiana Lou, Louisiana Lou on the levee. It's a Louisiana Lou. Louisiana Lou. I think I could get into it if I start with Camp Dad Races again. Camp Dad Races. Do da, do da. Taste that gumbo and the crawfish. Oh, do da day. Let me learn you some football, boy. Let me learn you some football. Let me learn you some football. See, you got this play right here. It's called a draw. <laughs> you just hand it to the running back. Please, give me some of those red beans and rice. I want a, I want a beignet and some red beans and rice. <laughs> oh, lordy, 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 folks! I'm, I'm so glad you're still here with us. I, we, I'm under the impression you edit these out, Matt. <laughs> oh no, not at all. No. <laughs> Josh, oh boy, Josh, I have now uh, your. Uh, Lou Holtz singing me happy birthday is my new ringtone. I don't know if you knew this. Wait, wait, that's awesome. For our, our younger listeners, by the way, the the voice I was doing was the great character Foghorn Leghorn, the big chicken. I say, I say, I say, I say, I say. From, from Looney Tunes. <laughs> Mine was uh, also <laughs> Foghorn Leghorn. <laughs> I do declare. I do declare. <laughs> oh, classic Southern lawyer. Okay, uh, gents, there were some football games this weekend. We don't have to spend too much time on them because... <laughs> there wasn't one in Indianapolis. Some of them, somehow, I'm the only person who didn't lose this weekend, mainly because I did not have a dog in any of these races. Um, before we get into the real pain, let's start on Friday night, where Utah, for the second time in three or four weeks, uh, just beat the piss out of Oregon. <laughs> Just absolutely smoked Oregon, out physicaled them from top to bottom. They ran over them, through them, by them, around them, around them, like, through them again. And Anthony Brown had picked a really bad time to have his worst game of the year. 
It didn't how even matter you, that Cam you, rising through two interceptions for Utah. How can because, you tell what's his worst game of the year? <laughs> All that. What was what was really notable though was the fact that you know they just I mean Utah just completely out physical them like there, there's not much else to say if you know I mean they had two they had 140 more yards they had mess story of the game they out physical yeah I mean, they, they out physical they 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 just they rushed they out rushed them by by 120 yards or so. You know, or Oregon had no answers, and and that's why I nothing. think Josh is being so so harsh on his grade with Mario Cristobal. They had no answers. They had no adjustments. They got their ass handed to them three weeks ago by this same Utah team. Conventional wisdom would tell me, okay, I don't want this to happen again. I'm going to make some adjustments. We're going to do things a little differently. We're going to play this a little differently, that a little differently. We're going to take it to them. What do they do? Same old thing. Yeah. What uh, happened? Same bleep, same different old day. Thing. Same, you know, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I stayed up to watch this, and it was a joke, man. Like, it wasn't it, it wasn't even close. They, Oregon didn't have a chance, Josh. Not, not a chance. No, they, they really didn't. And, um, you know, the um, flipping gears, I mean, Utah is – example roughly 37,000 of why a 14 playoff is absurdly stupid because uh i don't know any team in the country that would want a piece of utah right now even even alabama and georgia i think would be looking at some of the stuff this ute team does and go oh we oh we got that draw oh okay i mean this utah team they've ripped off uh Six wins in a row. Um, they they made a quarterback change. Uh, Cameron Rising's been phenomenal since becoming the starter, and uh, th- they're just a completely different team than the one that started one and two. And it's just a shame that uh, they don't get to put that to the test in the big stage. Obviously, the Rose Bowl is a, is one hell of a consolation prize, though. Yeah, I mean, the, but the, the fact is that they get Ohio State, which is not a good matchup for them. Ohio State's not going to care about that game. That's true. That's true. We'll see not, how many. They're not I, I'm also they're not in the playoffs. They'll be checked out, and half their team that's going pro will. Well, that's what I was going to say. How many of their guys are going to play? Like how many of their, especially their receivers, are going to play in that one? All right. Let's uh, let's then go next to the early game on Saturday, uh, which, I, for my money, was the best game. You know, the most interesting game of the day, at least in terms of start to finish action, that was the Big 12 title game. Baylor and Oklahoma State. Baylor pulls this one out 21 to 16, with Oklahoma State failing to convert on fourth and goal. And for me, that's that that's a big story here. Is Oklahoma State's red zone offense couldn't convert at all. And what ends up happening is that especially on that last drive, coach. You know, their uh, the tailback is Jackson is going in and decides to die for the pylon instead of just making a cut, trying to square up and powering through the goal line, which he's one on one with a linebacker going in there. I feel like he could have had the forward momentum to push him through, but instead he tries to go die for the pylon and is short, and uh-huh. that is. And, and so as a team, they come up short. And this happened 
all the time. I mean, they were in the red zone, I think, five times in this game, maybe six. Came away with three field goals. I mean, they had field goals of 23, 23, and 20 yards in yeah, one I mean, touchdown. That's that's not going to cut it. No, I mean, when you're in the red zone, especially in a championship scenario, you have to punch the ball in the end zone. Um, Georgia learned that the hard way, too, and we'll get to that in a bit. But um, when, you, when you're when you running at the angle that Jackson was running at, if you dive, you, you're really going to have to contort your body to get that ball across the, the break the plane of the goal line. But at any point, he could have just stuck his foot in the ground and just leaned into the defender used momentum because the defender was running sideways. And if he sticks his foot in the ground and leans into him, like physics kind of takes over and he could fall a half a yard, which is really all he needed. And he could have just, he could have scored that way, but instead he, he decided he was going to race to the pile and try to stretch out and get it, but he was at a bad angle to do so. So, I mean, you know, one way, half dozen, another hindsight, 2020, all those good things that we, we can sit here and say now, um, but you know he did what he thought was 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 the best case scenario for him, and you know I, I don't I certainly don't blame him, but I I know when he when he cuts on that film he's gonna he's gonna wish that he had just leaned into a defender. Yeah, I mean, uh, no dog in this this race at all, and it was such but, a fun game though. But I I feel just so bad for Oklahoma State. I mean, this team that gets over the hump, they beat Oklahoma and Bedlam. They are most likely going to the playoffs and playoffs and, you know, this, this happens. I mean, uh, but really they only have themselves to blame. I mean, you guys mentioned the red zone issues. Uh, They threw four interceptions and finish. You got to finish in the red area. Yeah. Um, So just, you know, sorry to sorry to Oklahoma State. All all I can do is sympathize for you. I, I do think it would be interesting, Coach. Um, you know, would the committee who are they taking out if Oklahoma State wins this game? Are they taking no one out? They're not. They're not. They're 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 leaving and Cincinnati the, because Cincinnati was dominant over Houston. Well, I think the interesting decision would have been, despite being number one all year, Georgia's resume, I mean, we'll get to it. Um, some of those wins Georgia had, they're no longer ranked. Would they so have, what, uh, so, so in this case, though, what's, what's if Oklahoma State wins this game, their best win is Baylor and Oklahoma? Those are their two best wins, right? Those are their two best wins sweeping Baylor. Um, and the fact that they would have been an eleven-one conference champion, whereas Georgia conference champion, yeah, whereas yeah, an eleven-one conference champion, where Georgia would have been an eleven-one non-conference champion. That would have made the committee that would have, have been interesting. Really, but I, I, yeah. I, I don't think that the committee clearly values the SEC so much. That yeah. I don't, I I don't, I could not foresee that having happened. They, well, I mean that that I mean, coach knows that I love his Georgia team, so I could say this with with all due respect. But who's Georgia's best win at this point? Arkansas or Kentucky? Either yeah, of those prob- teams prob- is good. Probably, as, Ar- probably Arkansas. 
are either of those teams as good as Baylor or Oklahoma then? That's the that's the thing that the committee would have to grapple with, which is, uh, oh, let's see, <laughs> reason number 37,001 of why a 14 playoff is asinine. Yeah. 12 team playoff is where we should be. I think we all know this. I mean, heck, I mean, if FCS can do 24 teams, there's no reason FBS can't. Yeah. Well, they claim it it lessens the regular season, but um, I failed. Do you think, to f- do you think FCS season. seasons lessened? By- yeah, yeah, not, not the least. Not, yeah, the not least. in the least, because seating matters so much. Yeah, seating matters so. If anything, so much. the playoff. If anything, the playoff has literally ruined bowls. I mean, it's ruined many- so many bowls. <laughs> Yeah, how many players just go, I'm not playing in the bowl. And I don't, I'm not begrudging the players. I mean, I would, honestly, I'd make the same decision if I had a beyond fortune waiting for me in the college, in the uh, the NFL draft. Yeah, for sure. Why, why would I play in the Cheez-It Bowl and risk blowing my knee out? Or the Tony, or the Tony the Tiger Bowl. Yeah. There's a Jimmy Kimmel Bowl this year. I can't wait for the first team to decline a bowl. I mean, we had plenty of teams to climb bowls last year. Very well, true, bit. but COVID was a little bit different. No, I, I'm saying, how, like, what is the egg on the face going to be if, if like, Jason Day's just like, oh, you know what? We didn't make the playoffs. We need to get ready for the uh, the combine. We're going to decline for, for the spring bowl. game. We need to get ready for our own spring game. <laughs> why would Jason? Why would Jason Day uh, turn down the Masters? <laughs> yeah, I, I think you meant Ryan. Day, Ryan too. Day. Um, <laughs> okay, let's talk. I had to uh, I before we get in. I'm glad you did. Before we get there, uh, let's talk ACC title game. Uh, the we game that did not hit the over, amazingly, uh, Pittsburgh Wake Forest. Biggest thing to come out of this game, I think, was Kenny Pickett's fake slide. So yeah. what I want to know how's it? That was a nifty little move there. What I want to know <laughs> is Kenny Pickett's fake fake slide, cool or nah? It was kind of slick, but it's kind of dirty because, yeah. like, defenders have to pull up. So, like, what are you going to do? Are you going to, like, um, you going to, like, assume that he's faking and you're just going to destroy him and then get ejected for targeting? Like, I don't think he should be allowed to do that. I, I think I think it was ingenious in the moment. I think the refs it was miss... incredible. It was incredibly yeah. slick. Though. I'll give I, I'll give him credit. I think. I think the refs missed an opportunity to blow it dead and not have to have the NCAA rule committee figure it out and just say, hey, you know what? You stutter stepped, your knee started to dip, you clearly began your slide. Because the rules are vague enough. Yes, the rules are vague enough. Give it up. So he exploited an inefficiency. So I am going to give him kudos for that. I think that the NCAA rules committee is going to close that loophole as fast as they can this offseason. Oh, Max Johnson is in the transfer. I saw that. Um, Well, they they have to they have to close. So because the the thing you're literally you're literally inviting uh, a quarterback fakes on his first slide. So on the second slide, he gets lit up, tee off, they tee off on him. And then a team loses a player for targeting. What the question though is what happens if a guy just says, Oh, I was just trying to juke him. I wasn't trying to fake slide. It's not nah. yeah, too bad. It's I mean, I, well, I agree. I think it's pretty clear. 
I think it's if pretty you, clear. If you act like you're going to slide, they're going to blow it dead. You can't blame the refs. Yeah. Okay. Works for me. I, I think. I think another thing that the committee really needs to consider is uh, the fact that the targeting call is just so you know punitive in that you don't have a warning, you don't have a strike. You know, um, if you're a quarterback and you do a little fake slide and you get blown up, and they rule it targeting. But the targeting call is 15 yards for your first one, ejection for your second one. Well, the quarterback's going to be thinking, oh, every defensive player has two cracks at me now. I better not pull that fake slide again. So I think that would also solve this issue. Because if the defense knows that they have two, you know, you know, they have one where, oh crap, it was, you know, incidental. Like, you know, I, I think that solves a lot of the stuff with a, if you make that tweak to the targeting penalty. Okay. Um, let's then move on to... Oh, I, I just want to say one last thing about the uh, the Wake Forest game. Um, horrible, horrible job by uh, ESPN. They... Um, the, Sur- surprising. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they had some pretty egregious stuff. Uh, I, I'm bringing it up. It's uh, yeah, I, I, I couldn't really believe it. But um, so um, basically, during the telecast, so Hartman's been really open about seeing a sports therapist and encouraging other athletes to do that. He had a brother commit suicide. He has uh, anxiety when. And it kind of manifested itself last year in the bowl game when he threw interceptions and it kind of crumbled against Wisconsin. And uh, basically the telecast, it was like, hey, let's talk about his mental health pretty much every play. And um, and then when he got pulled from the game, they kept panning to him on the sideline. This is a guy trying to destigmatize mental health. And ESPN is doing the opposite, basically being like, Look at this weirdo. He's, oh, oh, how is he going to handle that? He just got pulled from the game. It's like, yeah, you're doing the opposite of what you're supposed to. Yep. So what else is new is basically what it boils down to. Um. Okay. We got to talk about your games. Uh, Coach, starting with you because your game was earlier in the day. <laughs> um, for full... Uh, for full talk, I'll let people tune into Believe in Dogs, where you and Israel are going to commiserate, I'm sure. But mm-hmm. from what I saw, Georgia gets a 10 nothing lead, feeling pretty good about it. And then all of a sudden, uh, Georgia... Uh, a couple things I noticed. Jordan Davis, his effort was crap. He seemed to just be giving yeah. up on plays left and right yeah, it, it was the pa- it was like sophomore jordan davis and then on top of that there was just no pass rush and you can't give bryce young seven seconds in the pocket because jameson williams is going to get open and you know J- jameson williams who's you know one of the best wide receivers in the country you just you can't let him do that to you and then you start to play from behind you're relying I mean, Stetson Bennett threw 48 passes. 
Georgia's not going to win games when Stetson Bennett weighs, throws 48 passes. No, they're not. And they need to put somebody who can win the game by throwing 48 passes, and that man is JT Daniels. But, um, yeah, so going off what, what you're saying, you're, you're, you're hitting the nail right on the head. Um, in the vein of believe in Badgers, Monday morning fullback, I'm going to go good, bad, ugly. So I'm going to give you the quick, I'm gonna give you the quick preview. Tune in to Believe in Georgia Dogs if you want to hear us in depth, Israel and I, discussing what went right, what went wrong, all that good stuff. All right, the good, Brock Bowers. The kid's a freaking stud, man. How, how he's not a Mackey Award finalist is That was one of the me. biggest snubs. Uh, Nakobe Dean, uh, I thought played a nice game. He won the uh, he won the Butkus Award for best for nation's best linebacker. Was that already so announced? Him. Yeah, they're announcing this shit on social media. Oh, yeah. Uh, Will Anderson won the uh, Nagurski Award. Huh? I didn't, I didn't. I thought those were all being announced later this week. I didn't know those were announced yeah. already. No, the Nakobe Dean got this announcement Sunday. Um, I, I thought the offensive line played really well at times. Uh, early on, they were good. Uh, I think I thought pass pro was actually pretty good for the most part. I mean, obviously, Bama's going to get home on a few. Um, that's just what they do. But I, I thought overall, the pass pro was outstanding. Uh, Lad McConkey is turning into our version of Hunter Renfro, and I, I'm here for that. Uh, and, and the return of George Pickens was really nice to see. I wish we would have gotten him in. But the bad part about that is I wish we would have got him involved in the game plan more. Uh, the bad was... The uh, the quarterback play, uh, I thought Stetson was having a nice game until the second half. He threw two really bad interceptions, one one to the house that just kind of ended the game officially for Georgia. Not officially like his in triple zeros, but like Georgia was never coming back after that point. Um, going back to the good real quick, I, I thought the defense played 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 well in the second half outside of that first series. I thought they figured some things out, but. Uh, the bad was linebackers were ultimately irrelevant. I thought they made a few plays here and there. I thought Nicobe Dean played had had a had a decent game, but uh, the other linebackers were non-existent. Nolan Smith, I don't even know if he suited up. If he did, he didn't do anything. Um, offensive line uh, on some pressures, they just didn't communicate, didn't get their eyes up, uh, missed some some obvious blitzes that that could have uh, resulted in, in at least getting another first down and giving your defense some rest. Um, not very many bads, lots of uglies. Uh, the pass rush was atrocious. Uh, where's the edge pressure? We kept trying to, we kept trying to ram everything up the middle. Uh, there's their center did a r- tremendous job picking that up. The Brian Robinson did a tremendous job picking up linebackers. We kept trying to send pressure up the middle, which I, I get they were trying to collapse the pocket, but they didn't collapse the pocket. So, at some point, you got to get some edge pressure. At some point, you got to change things up because they 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 had you figured out. Uh, it was a lame, lame, conservative game plan there. So where's the edge pressure? Safeties were safeties were astoundingly awful. Uh, Lewis Seen took every bit of bait that you could take. They just kept completing balls behind him. I think I think Slay Bolden had a, had two miles worth of catches just behind Lewis Seen in the middle of the field. Uh, the slant they took to the house. Lewis Seen bit. Bit on a on a shallow crosser when when his responsibility was deep half. You saw what happened there. Tons of busted coverages. The DBs were awful. Um, there was a lot of wide open receivers. Like when I say wide open, I mean like high school sense of wide open where there's nobody standing around you. 
Um, that's that's how open some of these Alabama receivers were. Uh, and and I thought uh, I thought Ad Mitchell was didn't have a good game, um, which he's a freshman. He he was due for that, but he picked a picked a really bad time for that. And I I think the coaching was was an F. Kirby got out coached big time. He did in this one. He really did. Conservative, cons, ultra conservative game plan. Went into a shell. Played not to lose. Had a JT Daniels game plan for Stetson Bennett, which is never going to work. Um, Stetson is a I don't know if you guys know this, but Stetson Bennett is not JT Daniels. No, he's not. Stetson Bennett is not going to check you into good plays. He's not going to distribute the ball. He's a one read. He's a one read guy. There's a reason JT Daniels was a high school five star number one quarterback in the country, and Stetson Bennett was a walk on. There is a reason. That reason, and then the reason why these roles aren't uh, reversed back in the the natural order in which they progressed out out of training camp, is beyond me. I, I think Stetson's got to have something on Co- on Coach Smart. Um, he's got, got nudes. J- JT must have pissed in his cornflakes or must have like hit his hair product or something. I don't know. Something. I, I'm not real sure. Um, may, maybe maybe Kirby is tired of JT being the best looking one in, when they're together. I don't know. I have no clue. I have no clue what's going on with the quarterback situation, but that's got to change. Like, it's obvious. Stetson's limited. Now, I'm not saying Stetson lost the game because it's not on Stetson. Stetson played as good as Stetson's going to yeah, play. Yeah, but he sure as hell didn't win it. He sure as hell didn't win it. I, I think it's all. I think with the quarterback position, it's all on coaching. I, I thought Stetson played as well as he's going to play. That's Stetson Bennett against the elite defense. Like, that, that is him. That's what you're going to get. That is a maximized. I mean, he threw for a ton of yards. He had some really nice plays. Um, he did some really good things. But again, you're limited. It was obvious Alabama did not respect Georgia's vertical threat. It was glaringly obvious. Those safeties were playing hard deck at 10 yards, and they weren't moving much. All right, Josh. Well, uh, well, that well, well that I, game was. Some... I just, I mean, I just want to say a little bit about Georgia, Alabama as well. I mean, um, coach, coach hit on a lot of it. You know, one of those interceptions for Stetson, the receiver stopped his route. Can't do, can't do that. Can't do Stet, that. Stetson did not. Stetson should have got off that read immediately. That 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 route was dead from the beginning. Go ahead. But the um, yeah, I mean, some other stuff from the game that noticed as uh, as we were watching before going to the Big Ten title game. Soft coverage, way too big a cushion. Uh, let Bryce Young just just tear you up. And I, I think the the most logical explanation is what I saw on Reddit, which is uh, Saban and Smart have this thing figured out. Kirby Smart is a plant to get Georgia to the SEC title game, and then he deliberately lays down. And when Saban retires, Kirby Smart will uh, take over Georgia. That's how it's working. All right. <laughs> well, Josh, Big Ten title game. Uh, mm-hmm. You were in the house. You had some good mm-hmm. seats. You, see, you sent the picture to the group. That was uh, a yeah. you got you, you was... and Brian had some real nice seats there. Got a got a great look at a trick play where you uh, have a wide receiver or a running back uh, pass it. Uh, with one option, and the one option is your fullback. So, got a good look at that point. I mean, who doesn't love Monty Potabom? Well, I don't like him as a receiver. 
Um, so tell us what you saw in the stands. Yeah, I mean, th- this one was was pretty simple. The uh, one team had an offense, the other didn't. Um, you know, Iowa played their tails off. Uh, it should have been 14-14 at halftime. Should have been at worst 14 to 6 at halftime. Uh, Michigan's offense did nothing, but uh, they caught us on two trick plays. So hats off to them for calling them uh, and having them work. Iowa's one trick play obviously didn't work. And in that second half, the defense played hard in the third quarter. But by that point, it was 21 to 3. And, you know, defense is emotion. Um, that plays a big part of it. Having the will to voluntarily throw your body into another human being is not something you do lightly. And when you know that your offense will not score any points, I think some of that edge goes away. And, and that's why the Iowa defense basically said, F it in the fourth quarter. Um, on the flip side, Michigan was trying to get to 42 points. That was uh, 42 was the number of the uh, Michigan high school football player who died in the school shooting. So they were motivated to do that. Um, you know, we, we could pick apart the Iowa offense as much as we want. It's nothing new. Uh, Spencer Petrus, your starting quarterback, was 9 of 22. Um, you know, he was awful. Uh, they bring in Padilla way too late. He was also awful. Um, we were having great success over the middle. Stopped calling any of those plays. Uh, I said before the game that we needed to run screen plays to slow up the Michigan pass rush. Our first screen pass was called midway through the third quarter. Idiotic. Um, whenever we audible, we always audible to a run. So the second Petrus goes up to the line and changes the play, all 11 players on Michigan knew that's going to be a run. Um, our tendencies when you're in shotgun, most of the time it's a pass. Under center, almost all of the time it's a run. Idiotic. Um there's literally nothing this team does well offensively. Despite that, they bumbled into three red zone trips and got three points for their effort. Um, somehow, even worse red zone offense than Oklahoma State. Um, but that's a lot about Mich- or That's a lot about Iowa. Let's let's praise Michigan. Um, you know they had they had not an easy lead up to this game. I mean, they were just like Oklahoma State. They had their biggest emotional win in a long time, knocked off a big upset that's been, or a big uh, rival that's been giving them fits for the better part of a decade. They got over that hump. They could have come out flat. They wouldn't be the first team in the world to come out flat after that. They had a horrible, horrible emotional school shooting uh, not that long ago leading up to this game. Who knows? They, they could have been thinking about things, bigger picture life than this football game. Uh, I think they were definitely unimaginative and flat and press a little bit uh, for those first couple of drives. Uh, But then Gaddis opened the playbook up. Second quarter, Iowa defense adjusted really well and shut them out. But then in the second half, we saw the um, just the strength of this Michigan team begin to take over. I I thought McNamara 
had a pretty nice game. His one interception was a weird one, bounced off his receiver's hands. Um, you know, uh, their running backs were as advertised. I know that uh, I know that Haskins didn't have necessarily the the biggest day, average wise or total yards wise, but he showed some really impressive flashes. And, and Blake Corum in person is, um, I don't think this is hi- yeah. I, I don't think this is hyperbole. I've I got the privilege of going to a Rose Bowl. And uh, seeing McCaffrey in person from Stanford, uh, Corum has that level of speed. I don't know who would win in a foot race between the two of them, but um, both of them are just incredibly, incredibly fast. So uh, this Michigan team, uh, I think if they start as slow as they did against Iowa, uh, they're in for a long day against your Georgia team, but they have plenty of time to get ready for this. I don't anticipate them starting slowly in that game. Um you know, at halftime, I was thinking Michigan was uh, poised to get blown out in the playoffs, but uh, the second half was a lot better for Michigan, and uh, I think they have a puncher's chance against Georgia. I don't, I don't love it, but um, I certainly think that they have some really nice parts about it. That, that, uh, that, that's going to come down to that's yeah. going to come down to McNamara, honestly. Yeah. Um, last but not least. Um, I'm not going to blame the officials. I mean, it was 42 to three. It, it, it was not, we did not get screwed over, but uh, big 10 conference. Embarrassing, just embarrassing display by these refs. And I don't know if it was because they obviously wanted Michigan to get into the playoffs. And so maybe there was a memo to the officials that said, Hey, you know, if it's ever a 50, 50 call, uh, Maybe don't call it against Michigan, but uh, some some fun stuff. Uh, Iowa receiver was uh, tackled in the end zone right in front of the ref. Uh, very clear holding. He, he basically, if it was the 1990s tearaway jerseys, the Iowa's player's jersey would have been torn off. Uh, not, a, not a call. And the moron fan next to me was like, oh, it was, it was uncatchable. There's this random Michigan people next to us. Uh, in a sea of Iowa fans, they're like, it was uncatchable. And I'm like, you do realize on a holding, it doesn't matter. And they were like, what? They, they did not know the rule of football. So that was fun. Um, the, uh, <laughs> the throat slash, um, they showed it on the replay. They showed it on the Jumbotron at Lucas Oil Stadium. But uh, Hutchinson, after a big sack, does a throat slash that I'm pretty sure has been outlawed at NCAA for about 15 years now didn't see it or they did and they didn't call it um a targeting which the michigan player led with the crown of his helmet into the head of spencer petrus they reviewed it they also showed the replay in lucas oil i liked that at home stadiums they never do that but they showed it uh maybe it was just the one camera angle that they showed at lucas oil but uh from where i was sitting looked like a textbook targeting call also not called uh so not not a banner day for big 10 refs and you know it's only the big 10 title game i don't know why you'd want better refs yeah, i don't, I don't uh, know they, why you wouldn't i don't know you can just th- pick some crappy throw any crew on there right okay um other title games just quickly uh utah state smacked San Diego State Woo. definitely did not see that coming. Forty-six to thirteen. 
Wasn't even close. Louisiana beat App State at home uh, in Billy Napier's swan song. That that one was easy money. I don't know why Vegas had App State as favorite. Neither did I. Uh, Northern Illinois beat Kent State forty-one to twenty-three in the MAC title. Northern game. Illinois, incredible story. You guys know how many games they won last year? Not. Yeah, a big old nothing burger. Yeah. Big old goosey. Yep. Uh, we also saw the. Uh, CUSA championship game, UTSA bounced back to win 49-41 over WKU in a uh, in an absolute Barn wild one. And Cincinnati, as expected, beat Houston 35-20. to That third quarter was just amazing. It was clinical. So dominant. It was clinical. So we, we obviously get our final four, Alabama, Michigan, Georgia, and Cincinnati. We'll be talking about those matchups come. And Matt... Matt, don't forget, title weekend, championship weekend, oh. Cal knocked off USC. No other questions about the game. Just leave it at that. Let the record show that Cal beat USC championship weekend. Yeah. Cal Cal beat USC on championship <laughs> weekend. Uh, I mean, in a great contest between a Pac-12 North and a Pac-12 South team. Yep. Super important at the season. And... You know, um, I'm just going to leave it there and go to the FCS. We're excited to announce a new sponsor, and that is Lightbox. Say goodbye to dull gifts. Lightbox lab grown diamonds are the brightest gifts of the year. Using cutting-edge technology and innovative techniques, they've cracked the science of sparkle, creating the highest quality lab-grown diamonds you can find. And they're a light price, $800 per carat. They have the same chemical makeup of natural diamonds, but are grown in a lab. Because of their process, they can create stones in blush pink and beautiful blue, as well as a classic white. Lightbox lab-grown diamonds are the gift they'll never want to take off, priced so they won't have to. They really do make any outfit sparkle. So head on over to lightboxjewelry.com and add sparkle to your holiday shopping. That's lightboxjewelry.com. Lightbox diamonds, never a dull moment. Where well, we're going to finish our... Uh our uh, conversation Brackets. today so uh heading over to our fcs bracket uh we saw mostly chalk from the weekend uh all of the seeded teams won except for sacramento state who lost to uh south dakota state which was not exactly the biggest surprise there south dakota state i would say it was definitely the best of the unranked teams here but they had had a, an, an interesting season, but they managed to win that one 24 to 19. Uh, the, the most fun game was definitely Montana Eastern Washington with the Grizz winning 57 to 41. Um, and also the How e about incarnate word uh, fumbling oh. into the end zone to, 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 to lose uh, to, or to lose or potentially and, and tie to the game. Their rally. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, then there was also ETSU Kennesaw State 3231 uh to ETSU and that uh brings us to the Elite 8 in the FCS tournament. Let's start Josh with Sam Houston State versus Montana State. What do you see in this matchup? Sam Houston State obviously the number 1 team in the country, Montana State number 8. Can Montana State pull off the big upset? I think they can. I mean, uh, Montana State coming out of that juggernaut conference they're in with Eastern Washington, Montana, a lot of good teams out there. So um, they're 
they're not going to be scurred, as we would say. Um, but we talked about it last week. Sam Houston State, defending champions, undefeated on the year. Um, you know, I, I, I'm going to chalk it up to the fact that when you have the bye week. See what you um, did there. Chalk it up. Yeah. Uh, when you have a bye week versus a team that played a week ago, um, I think Incarnate Word already had their opening jitters taken care of last week against Stephen F. Austin. Sam Houston, you're in the playoffs. You you know, you don't know how you're going to react. They had a clunky game, but they survived. They advanced. I think they will also survive and advance in this game. Yeah, I'm I'm inclined to agree with you here just because Sam Houston State has been has been pretty dominant this whole season. Incarnate Word, uh, a team that they're familiar with, gave them a run, but I think that's Sam Houston State sort of, you know, shaking, you know, shaking it out. And I, I expect Sam Houston State to win by at least two scores here. Coach, anything to add? No, I mean I'm 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 with you there. Sam Houston State's pretty damn good and um you know when you go against a familiar opponent, you know, things like that happen. I mean incarnate incarnate word is I think if Incarnate Word was in this uh, situation, they would uh, they would also have a similar outcome. I think either one of those two teams would have won this matchup. All right. Uh, number two, North Dakota State versus number seven, East Tennessee State. Uh, ETSU, like I mentioned, survived against Kennesaw. North Dakota State had literally zero problems with Southern Illinois winning 38 to seven. Uh, Josh, I imagine we're going to see the bison roll again here, especially considering that it's in the Fargo dome, but you know, ETSU beat Vanderbilt this year, but Vanderbilt, I don't not, I don't <laughs> think is uh, I, I think Vanderbilt would be a two touchdown underdog to North, North Dakota state. <laughs> yeah. But then we talked about them last week. The Buccaneers had a really, really, really nice season, but uh, you sort of feel like what's the ceiling of a team and and the bucks kind of feel like an elite eight ceiling um even without this matchup but you know you just mentioned it up in the fargo dome playoff time i don't i don't see it happening i don't see the upset how about you coach no i i don't i mean i would love for it to happen i'm rooting for the bucks but it's not i just i don't think it's going to happen and, and and there's no problem with that i think north dakota state has proven that they are um, an elite program, 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 and program in uh, FCS football. But ETSU is, thought they had a nice year. They got that banner win over Vanderbilt. Um, let's head down. Number three, James Madison is taking on number six, Montana. Montana won that barn burner against Eastern Washington, fifty-seven to forty-one. James Madison took care of business against Southeastern Louisiana, fifty-nine to twenty. JMU has been a power over the past couple seasons in FCS, but Montana, after not playing last year, which was a real shame because they had a they had a shot at, at being one of, if not the best team in the country last spring. They also lost Samari Torre, who was far and away the best player on Nebraska this year, the wide receiver. Yet still, Montana, really good squad. I think this might be the best game of the coming weekend, Josh. I would concur with that, and I was uh, very, very, very tempted to take this as an upset. Um, Montana put up 57 points a week ago at Eastern, or not at, but against Eastern Washington. Um, but I just, these on-campus sites, 
always make things very interesting. James Madison, this is going to be, uh, I believe, their last playoffs because they're they're coming up mm-hmm. to uh, FBS. FBS on for next season, I think. Um, I think that transfer starts as early as then. So, you know, I think they're playing for a little bit more now with those recent announcements and cross country trip for Montana. Never, never easy, but um, it's going to be a really, really, really fun game. I think no matter what, I just have, I have the Dukes clipping them maybe at the end and like, you know, potential like 28, 24 thriller. Coach. I I agree with everything Josh just said. Honestly, that was my assessment. I think James Madison has uh, is going to have true home. As I was about to say home court. Uh, they're going to have true home field advantage here with uh, the Grizz going uh, from west to east. And so I, I, I like it. I, I like J, I like James Madison in this matchup. All right. Finally, Villanova, South Dakota State. Nova had a had a tough test with Holy Cross. Managed to win. 21 to 16 the colonial champs have to now take on south dakota state uh who are the reigning national champs in fcs football and that is no you know no easy task yes south dakota State has a couple losses this season but uh they got as much talent as anyone i i think these two matchups we just mentioned the montana james madison matchup that one and this villanova south dakota state matchup have the uh, the chance to be the two best games of the weekend. While Montana James Madison is going to be a really high scoring game, I would expect the final score on that one to be like forty five forty two. This one might turn out to be like seventeen to thirteen. <laughs> yeah, and I mean uh, the thing with these playoffs is very, very, very rarely does it go chalk. So it comes down to the game of where's the upset? Who are you picking for an upset? And this one feels very poised for an upset. You have South Dakota State from the best conference, the Missouri Football, Missouri Valley Football Conference, going up against Villanova. I know Villanova is in a very good conference, too, but... By the second best conference, the Colonial. Yeah, yeah, but the, you know... The Missouri Valley is the SEC of of, of FCS, and the Colonial is the Big Ten. Exactly. And, you know, Villanova, awesome year out of that colonial, but they still do the five seed. I don't trust them as much as the Dukes. Jack Rabbits, big road win. I was really impressed with Sacramento State and Jack Rabbits shut them down, held them to 19 points. Villanova, I don't know why they only beat Holy Cross by five points. That should have been a much more lopsided game. So I'm going to take my upset here. I'm taking the Jackrabbits. I'm joining your bandwagon, Matt. If you'll have me. Uh, Josh, th- there's always room for you on any of my ba- of any of my bandwagons. Uh, I'll I'll tell you why, Josh. That is there room for me too, J- Coach? <laughs> hop on board, baby. Hop Let's go. Save me a seat. Board. Shotgun. No, I'll I'll you know they just they were not super efficient. They they lost a fumble and they had. A bunch of penalties in this one Villanova did against Holy Cross. That's not going to play well against South Dakota State. So I yeah, no, it, it, it will not. South Dakota State is might be the most 
might have the most pure talent of any of any team in the country. I love, you know, I, I've been talking about them for ages. I feel like the Yankee brothers um, at, at wide receiver, they still have Pierre Strong at running back. They've got, they've just got dudes everywhere. And I really think that that is, you know, if, if there's, it's been a while since there was an unseeded team that won an FBS national title, but if that's ever going to happen, it might be, it might be this year with this South Dakota state team. So, um, I'm happy to have you guys on the bandwagon. Anything else before we wrap up? No, no, just, uh, I'm really excited for the bulls. They start December 17th. So yeah. I think our next show is going to have to our be next show will be our, will be bowl spectacular. Our bowl spectacular and, uh, our all I am awards awards are being given out this week as coach mentioned, but, uh, you know, I, I we have to give out some hardware of our own as well obviously so um matt coach asked me about the citrus bowl how are you feeling about the badger bowl the you mean the, the las vegas bowl against arizona state yeah i think it's gonna be a badger bowl because i think a whole bunch of wisconsin fans are gonna enjoy getting to go to vegas uh, yeah <laughs> I, I think so even though i mean like you can drive to vegas from tempe i would not be surprised if there are way more badger fans than there are arizona state <laughs> okay. fans also arizona state will be without their top two running backs and i believe wisconsin i don't think anyone for wisconsin is opting out so and, and the fact that uh paul christ feels like he doesn't out coach very many coaches but i think he could out coach oh yeah that's saying a whole lot Um, all right. Well, in that case, I think we're going to wrap it up here for the evening. So on behalf of our own offensive coordinator, the coach Corey Burton in uh, Nashville, Tennessee, and our intrepid blogger from Big Ten Accounting, Josh Cook, up there in Chicago, Illinois, this is the Professor Emeritus in the Music City saying so long and see you next time on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.